But uh, our family, a few weeks ago, we took a journey together. We went down to Universal Studios for the first time uh, um, as a family. Uh, it's a theme park, an amusement park down in Southern California. And we had one day. We were driving down one day. We were going to visit the, the park for the next day. And then the third day, we would drive home. We had one day. And so we, we began to uh, think about how do we maximize our trip there. And uh, we knew when the park opened and when it closed, and we knew we began to look at a map of the place and uh, said, these are the things that we want to see to make the most for us out of our journey. And these for us were the highlights. It didn't mean other things were unimportant or uninteresting. It's just these were the high things that were most important for us to visit. And we had a great, great time. Uh, this morning, I would like for us to go on a bit of a journey together. Um, and you'll see that you've got a little blue insert. I want to invite you to pull that out if you haven't already. And uh, it uh, indicates four stops that we are going to make together along the way. Uh, four passages of Scripture uh, that we're going to look at that come out of only two books of the Bible. And uh, this isn't everything we need to know, but uh, certainly helps us uh, in a big picture, big scheme approach to understanding what in the world God is doing in His world. Part of what I want us to, to leave here today with uh, perhaps a, a renewed encouragement is this, is that God is in the process of filling His world and the people that He has created with His good purpose and with His presence in their life. That is His desire. And uh, like every good journey, where must we start our journey? Where do you start a journey? At the beginning. So let us do that together. We're going to pray and then we're going to jump into our first stop along the way, the beginning. God, we thank You for this moment today to be together in Your house we lift up the Howell family as they're traveling today. We thank you for them and their ministry to us. We're so glad that Don is back with us after many weeks of, of sorrow and sadness and difficulty. And uh, may he feel your love through us as we continue to rally around him now physically as, uh, as our, our presence with him joins the prayers that we have offered so often and so regularly in these recent weeks. Today, God, we, we desire hearts that are open and laid bare before You. We pray, God, that You would be the one opening our ears, that Your Spirit uh, would be known and heard today, and that we would re be people who respond happily and joyfully as You would speak to us. God, speak now. It is Your Word that we, we look at and listen to. May we hear Your voice in these moments forward together now. In Jesus' name, we pray together. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. At the beginning, every good journey starts at the beginning. We're going to the very first book of the first uh, verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. If you have a pencil or a pen, let me invite you to pull that out. If you want to interact with, with our uh, little sheet today, I'm going to give you some items to circle and to underline as we go. There's some pencils there in front of you in the pew racks if you don't have one, if you'd like to come along with us uh, and to, to interact in this way. But uh, if you have a pen or a pencil in your hand, I want to invite you to draw a box around the words formless and empty. Formless and empty. 
God, from the very beginning, was in the process of taking that which was formless and empty and bringing to it shape and life and meaning and purpose. That is what God does. Things that that were not yet given shape by God's design, it is given shape. That which is devoid of purpose, because God is present, is now filled with the very purposes of God the Creator. I want you to take your pencils and underline the word darkness. In Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible called The Message, he translates this word as inky blackness. Inky blackness. I mean, it was dark. There was no light yet, because it had not yet been spoken into existence. And I want you to know today that God still comes into dark places and illumines the darkness with His light and the light of His presence. That is, that is what God does. That is who He is. He is a light-giving, illuminating God. He'll come into the darkness of a life or in the darkness of a people, and He'll begin to lift the corner of that darkness so that His light might begin to pierce in those places and in those lives so that we might be people who can more clearly see God so that we can be people who can more clearly be in a relationship with God that is a relationship of love and of trust and of obedience. That is the life to which God calls us. He comes into places that are shapeless and He forms them. He comes into places that are empty and He fills them. And He comes to places that are dark and He illumines them just by His very presence and through His spoken Word into a life and into a group of people. What was God doing when things were formless and empty and dark? I want you to circle the phrase, God was hovering. God was hovering. Was God absent? Absolutely not. God was present. And uh, if sometimes if you're like me, you think of hovering, you think of sort of a static presence. Something, something is there, it's above, it's close, but it's not doing anything. But that's not really captures the idea of the Hebrew word. Other Bible translations might uh, translate this word as, as the Spirit of God was moving. Or the Spirit of God was unfolding. Uh, often it's translated as hovering, but it's not a static sense of presence. It's a, it's a presence that is prepared to act. So God is hovering there at the beginning of the creation, prepared to act. How many of you have seen the original movie Karate Kid with Ralph Macchio? Okay, about 75% of us. All right. So uh, you may know the film. You may know lines from the film. Probably one of the the bigger movies, I think, of the 1980s. This uh, boy who's being bullied down in Southern California in high school. He, uh, if you don't know the story... He uh, is befriended by uh, this great Japanese man uh, named Mr. Miyagi. Miyagi. All right, just testing. See, you didn't lie to me when you raised your hand. Mr. Miyagi befriends him and begins to teach him um, some some ways of defending himself. And uh, the story unfolds. He ends up at the end in these great karate tournaments and, of course, the rousing music and all of that. But do you remember the, the great, probably the iconic image of that film, the great move that he has taught? Do you remember what it's called? The crane, that's right. The crane move or the crane kick. And you, Chris is doing it over here. He, he, you would stand up on one foot, you'd raise your hands, 
and you're ready to strike. I, I looked online today and some karate experts were debunking it as a, a plausible move and were describing how easy that would be to defend. But, you know, I like Hollywood sometimes because I like to willingly suspend my disbelief. Don't you sometimes? So I, I believe in the crane move because I've watched the karate kid. It'll work. It'll work. I'm sure of it. But the whole point is that it's not a static preparedness, right? He's there, and why is he doing this? It's right at the end, because it's the climax of the movie. And the kid who used to beat him up on the beach is about to get a foot in the face. Right? He's prepared to act. And that's the better image. When we think about God in Genesis hovering over the waters, He is a God who is there prepared to act. And then we see the story cascade of speaking things into existence. Life and light, night and day, and all that unfolds there. Every good story starts at the beginning. But that which was nothing at the beginning, because of God, becomes something. That which was formless and void and empty and shapeless and dark, God is present And because God is present and He chooses to move, He makes it come into being, just like He does in our lives today. But the book of Genesis, from chapters 3 to chapters 11, it turns to kind of an unexpected place. Sin enters the world. In those chapters from 3 to 11, we have three of the, the great stories of the Old Testament that describe to us people's propensity for sin and an ever-increasing alienation from God of their own choice. God is calling and wooing, but they continue to turn the other way. We have the stories of Cain and Abel. When one brother comes and presents the very best of what he has before God as an offering and a sacrifice to the Lord, and God is pleased with his, and the other brother brings kind of some leftovers not the best of what he has. He's not honoring the relationship God desires of him, and God is not pleased. And so the one brother, out of jealousy, kills the other brother. And we begin to see the cycle of evil and violence and murder. That's one story. Another story is the story of Noah. When God is grieved in his heart that he's even created people because of their lack of response to him, but God, out of his good grace, uh, reserves and protects and preserves... um, Noah and his family. And then the third story is the Tower of Babel. People are so desiring to somehow be like God or to become like God apart from God that they build this tower and God takes and scatters them in confusion all around the area. Three stories of real sadness that point out this increasing darkness, this increasing spiritual shapelessness, and an intensifying emptiness spiritually in the people's lives. And yet into that, into those realities, we come to chapter 12 of Genesis, and that's where we discover where God comes to a man named Abram. And to Abram, God unfolds his plan to come and restore and renew the world. He makes a promise to Abram, And then through Abram, God says, I'm going to touch and bless and restore the world as as I unroll my plan with you and for you. So here we are, plan announced, our stop number two in our journey today. Into hopelessness, 
God is present. Right? When God is present, even the most hopeless situation is not hopeless anymore because God is there. God can restore out of the the deepest and most anguished brokenness of your life. God can take the most heinous sin you've ever created and He can do something with it. He can uh, cleanse you of it and make you new again if you would turn your life to Him. That's what He does. That is the God that we serve. He announces His plan on our sheet. Number two, the plan is announced. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So if you have your pencil, I want you to circle the word go from, the phrase go from. Circle that, and then underline the words country, kindred, and father's house. Circle go from, and underline country, kindred, and father's house. Do you think that God's call and claim on Abram's life required an adjustment in Abram's life? (laughs) Do you think that it required sacrifice on his part? Yeah, the answer is yes. Yes to both. Just like God's call and claim on your life and mine, on the life of a church, it requires an adjustment for our thinking and a sacrifice of our lives. That's just the way it is. And in fact, often I think God calls us to places of sacrifice or places of, of, uh, uh, that are new and different because it's in those moments when, when things aren't quite comfortable where we tend to be the most open to the presence of God. Have you ever noticed that? If you listen to the stories and read the stories of the saints of old, you'll notice this pattern over and over again. Is that through the hardships of life, when people are most open to the presence of God, they're most in tune to their need for God, that that's when, not that they turn to God as a crutch, but that's when they discover that God is the God who meets them and shapes their life in those moments even more than they have at any other phase of their life. It's so remarkable in the way that God will speak into shapelessness of our lives and bring form to it. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament would say it similarly. He says, I'm in the pains of childbirth. Why? Until Christ is formed in you, until God has shaped Himself and the likeness of Jesus is being imprinted on your life and mine more and more and more. That is the desire of God in your life, out of shapelessness, to shape you because He loves you. Abram is called to adjust his life. He's called to sacrifice so that he can align himself to the purposes of God. And so it is in your life and mine and in the life of a church like ours, as we will engage ourselves in the mission of God, it requires adjustment and it will require sacrifice. Some of you have given to many mission trips. I've continued to be blown away at the generosity of this church. And some, I'm sure, have given sacrificially. You have given money to help fund certain trips or engagement of activity and missions, and you've 
you've done so at personal cost. You've chosen to let certain uh, things, maybe what you would describe as extras in your life, you perhaps have chosen at times to let those things go for a season so that that extra money can be given into the Lord's hands for the fulfillment of His purpose. That's just a, uh, another way of sacrificing in our lives and adjusting ourselves to the purposes of God. I want you to take your pencil and I want you to double underline the next phrase, which is, I will show you, I will show you at the end of the first sentence, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house, where? To the land I will show you. From Abram's perspective, where is that? Okay, God, let me pull out my map. He didn't have a phone back then, right? He pulls out his map. All right, here we are. Here's Ur. Hmm. Where shall we go, God? Where are we going? What's the answer? What? To the land I will show you. What's that mean? Trust. That's right. Abram is called to step out, to take that first step of faith, because he's required to trust God. That's what faith is. That's what it engenders in us. It's what it requires is a trust that if I take this first step, even if I don't know exactly where the rest of the path goes or what exactly the details need to be fulfilled, I will trust that God in His timing and in His way, He will fulfill that ahead of me because I'll trust Him. I'll trust Him. I will step out. I will trust Him because my life requires adjustment and sacrifice to follow God and it requires me to trust God. It requires us as a church to trust God in our forward movement. Now I want you to take your pencil and I want you to circle uh, every time you see the word bless or a, a way of writing the word bless. Blessing, blessed. And tell me how many you, you come up with. Who has more than three? Who has more than four? Five. Anybody with more than five? Okay, I don't, I don't see more than five, but I'd be happy if there's more. Uh, blessing. God says to Abram, I will bless you. What's He going to bless him with? He's blessing Abram with His presence. He's blessing Abram with His promise. He's blessing Abram with this relationship that Abram is going to learn and begin to demonstrate for us. What does the New Testament describe as Abram? What, what does God count as righteousness for Abram? His faith. Abram for us is a picture and a demonstration of faithful response to God. God says to Abram, I'm going to bless you, Abram, and through you, what am I going to do? I'm going to bless all nations through you. So there's something pretty big going on, but it's very specific with what in the way that God is going to do it. Okay, so hold on. The rest of the Old Testament, I told you there's a lot of other important things, but we're just highlighting some big, big rocks today. The rest of the Old Testament tells us of how the people worked with God, turned away from God, would return to God, the way they worked out this relationship with God. You know the word Israel literally means wrestles with God. And we see that through the whole Old Testament, this group of people learning to wrestle with God and how do we do life with God and how do we live a faithful life as a community to God. And then we hear the prophets, these echoes of the promise. 
continuing to remind them to wait for the promise. The promise is coming. God promised Abram, and God will fulfill His promise. And then for 400 years, the Bible goes quiet. At the end of Malachi, 400 years go by, not a single word from God. And then we come to stop number three. The rescue finally comes. The opening, almost the opening word in the New Testament. You remember the New Testament, you know, is the unfolding of the story of Jesus and how God has come to rescue His people and to fulfill the promise. And almost the very first word in all of the New Testament is the word Abraham. Abram's name was changed to Abraham, meaning father of many nations. So on your number three, I want you to circle the word Abraham. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the first verse of the New Testament, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now I know it's, it's, if you're like me, it's easy. You open up uh, to the genealogy passages in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke and your eyes can kind of gloss over and maybe you're not really sure what the big deal is or what application this has in your life. And I, I get it. But I want you to know that it's so important because when Jesus is being described to us, the very first thing that's described is it takes us back to Genesis chapter 12 and the word Abraham because we are to know in Jesus that He is the fulfillment of the promise that God had made all those years and generations before. Jesus now is the very specific Answer to that big promise that God made that all of the nations would be blessed through Abram. It wasn't just that Abram's fame would spread, but eventually a child from Abraham's family and line would come into the world, and we know that that is Jesus. Jesus comes. Uh, Peter would pick up this idea. Peter's very first message in the third chapter of Acts, he stands before a group of Jewish people. And this is what he says. He says, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up His servant Jesus, sent Him to you first, to you Jewish people first, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying for everyone who suffers with spiritual uh, disorientation, with spiritual malformation, with spiritual darkness, with spiritual emptiness, he now says, Peter says, now that Jesus has come, He is the one who has come to shape you spiritually. He is the one who has come to speak into the darkness of your life. Jesus is the one who comes to fill your life with the very purposes of God like no one else could ever do or will ever be able to do. That's how unique Jesus is and why He is the very specific fulfillment of the big promise of God. It's so important. Peter picks up that idea. The Apostle Paul later in Ephesians chapter 3, he would say it this way, because Peter was talking to Jewish people in that sermon. Paul's talking to non-Jewish people. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So we start at the beginning. God's shaping and filling and bringing light and uh, reality and purpose into meaninglessness. 
The plan is announced to Abram. Stop number three is that in Jesus we have the fulfillment of that promise to Abram. And now finally, number four, is the message goes through us. So the message has come to us, and now the message must go through us. Right? It's not just for me to keep. Right? I, I don't just take it home and just sit and happily smile at it and put it back in the box and hide it away. That's never God's intent. God loves you, but He wants to love others through you. That's always the way God intends it to be. You have a particular sphere of influence, uh, people that, that you have contact with, and that is your world that God wants you to let Him touch through you. And you're going to do it in your individual way. You're not going to do it just like me. I'm not going to do it just like you. Amen? Isn't that so good? That you don't have to be an extrovert if you're deeply introverted and you don't have to share your life in Jesus just like extroverts do. Isn't that great? Isn't that so good? Come on, introverts. Support what I'm saying. Come on. It's good. We don't have to be and do it just like everybody else does, but God has put you among people particularly that you and perhaps you only uniquely will be able to share the love of Jesus with them. Because the message that comes to us must what? Go through us. The message that comes to us must what? It must go through us. That is the intent. That is the intent. Here's what Jesus said. This is some of the very last words of Jesus. Now, we, we as humans, we like to give ear to some of the closing words of a person's life. This was spoken shortly before Jesus ascended back to be uh, in the presence fully of the Father. So here's what He says. He's gathered the church. This is after He was crucified. He's now been resurrected from the dead. And this is right at the end of all of His appearing to, to people to demonstrate that He truly was alive. Here's what He says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go. I want you to circle the word go. Go, therefore... And then underline the next two words. Make disciples. Circle go. And then underline make disciples. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. <clears throat> We're called to go, right? Just in the same spirit as Abram. Does going require adjustment? Yeah. Does going require sacrifice? Yes. Does going require trust in the Lord? You bet it does. But you know, the, the only imperative in this whole phrase is, is, or is this word, or these, this phrase is to make disciples. We are to be people. We are to be a church that goes and makes disciples. That means that we go and we encounter people that God puts in our pathway and in our life, and we have a responsibility to somehow point them to Jesus. Okay? We have a responsibility and we should be praying for the people in our lives that don't know the Lord. We should be praying earnestly that God would somehow draw them to an awareness of Himself. And if He chooses to work through you, praise the Lord. And if not through you, God might put somebody else in their life to whom He's happy and pleased to work through to bless them, right? Because you and I are blessed to be a blessing to others. It's not just for us. What comes to us must go through us because we are blessed, just like Abram, 
to be a blessing. We are called to go and make disciples. We are called to bring people into fellowship. That's the idea of baptism. That we, we connect, they are connected to a fellowship of faith and a fellowship in a community that means something. And that fellowship then is intended to be that which we, we train people and we encourage people. This is the life that Jesus calls you to live. And then we encourage lovingly one another to live in that life. And to demonstrate that the message of God has come to me so that it becomes something interesting and attractive for the world around us because they look at a church like this and they know that God is present, that God hovers here, that God wants to come into their shapelessness and into their emptiness and into their darkness and He wants to bring shaping and He wants to bring purpose and He wants to bring His illumination into their life too. But it has to start with a church and a fellowship that is desiring deeply to love the Lord and to live lives that reflect His goodness in us. Go, therefore, and to make disciples. It's not just about sharing a message. It's about demonstrating that message in our living. We are called to live lives that are pure and holy. Sports camp this past week. Oh, I've been involved in quite a few of these, and I, I really think this is one of our best. It was a little smaller in numbers but this year, but I think it was one of our best for many reasons. We had 23, between the two camps, 23 different responses from children. Four of those, at least four, we know, are uh, first-time decisions to, to put Jesus as the centerpiece of their life. We know that others at that camp, they're hurting in their families. They have living situations that are that are painful. And we know that we have the opportunity for just a few hours every day to demonstrate the love of Jesus to them and to give them a place where they could hear the good news and to see it living in us. We have feeding those who feed us starting this coming Sunday, one week from today. That's why we're talking about missions today and next Sunday. Because I thought, boy, what, what better would it be, uh, with some encouragement, what better would it be, uh, what better topic could we focus on right in the middle of some of our big outreach events than to think about missions? Uh, feeding those who feed us requires adjustment, doesn't it? It requires sacrifice of time. It requires sometimes a reprioritizing for a season of that which God would have us give. I want to encourage you one last thing. Turn your sheet over. And I want you to write on this sheet four different words. And here they are. The four words that summarize our time together today in these four stops along the way. Number one is action. To be a missional person in a missional church requires action. What did God tell Abram? Sit still. Go. Go, right? That, that's the first word to go. So missions requires action. Okay, we can't, we can't do nothing and say that we're missional people, right? It also requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. To be a missional person, to be a missional church requires sacrifice. Sometimes that's sacrificial giving. Sometimes it's sacrificial giving of our vacation week to participate in something. Sometimes I mean, there's a lot of things. What did God say to Abram? Leave your people, your kindred, your homeland. Right? It required adjustment and sacrifice. Number three, it requires trust. Where was Abram going? He didn't know. He didn't know to the land that God was going to show him, right? It would come. 
But Abram had to first step out and go and trust. So it does for us. It requires action. It requires sacrifice. Missional living requires trust in God. And finally, this may be obvious or a no-duh, but it requires God's work. Who is going to bless Abram? God. Who is going to bless people through Abram? God. Who blesses your life? God, who blesses a church like this? And what does God desire to do? Once the message and blessing has come to us, it must go through us. Because like Abram, we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. You and I are blessed to be a blessing. Our church is blessed by God to be a blessing to others. We go this next week to feeding those who feed us so that we might see God's work through us. Let's pray. Living God, we pray this day that You would would be the one stirring our hearts, reshaping and reminding us of why missions is so important to what You are doing and why it's so central to Your work in the world. And God, we we know that we're imperfect in our uh, continued obedience, but we want to be obedient. God, we want to be people who take action. We want to be people who are willing to sacrifice. We want to be people who trust You. And we want to be people who work with You so that we can see Your work happen. God, thank You for blessing us so that we can be a blessing. We're not a container to hold things only. We're a container to be filled and then to be poured out. To be filled and then poured out. You've blessed us so that we might be a blessing. Help us. In that we pray, in Jesus' name, together. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. In a moment we're going to stand, we're going to sing our final song together. I'd like to make this place uh, a place of prayer. Perhaps this morning you feel the need just to come and maybe kneel up here or stand and pray. You're welcome and invited to do that.